From coast to coast, women grow up with their bodies being watched and, almost without fail, learning to watch their own bodies. This self-surveillance begins young and for many women feels impossible to stop. It permeates our relationships and decisions, negatively impacts our physical well-being, mental health, and overall quality of life. The Body Myth Podcast explores how we got here, why our size and shape have nothing to do with happiness, and what we can do to find body peace. I'm Ronit Plank, and I'm your host for the Body Myth Podcast. Let's get off of this weight and body image roller coaster together. Welcome to episode two of The Body Myth. A few weeks ago on Instagram, I asked, did a parent or loved one ever suggest a diet or put you on one when you were growing up? And I got a lot of responses. The reason I asked this question was because while no one put me on a diet growing up, I definitely heard from my family, some of my family, that I should probably watch what I was eating or that I shouldn't probably have the snack that someone else in the family was having because I couldn't afford it. And one time when I was in college and calling home, I was snacking on some potato chips and a relative told me that maybe I should stop eating potato chips and exercise more. And I was thinking about this when I asked the question. I was thinking about it because I've really come to understand that what happens to us as children, what we hear about ourselves when we're young can really shape how we go through the world and our lives afterward. And it's really hard sometimes to shake loose the comments we hear and the opinions people have about us, whether it's about how we look or how we act, what we're good at or what we're really bad at, whether it's comparing us to other people in our family, those messages seem to really adhere to us when we're young. And unless we revisit them as adults and do some work and try to dismantle them, it's hard to shake them off. And of the many responses I read to my question, there was one in particular uh, that I wanted to share with you. And I got permission from the poster to share what their comment was and their experience had been. So this is from JS102817. My grandmother put me on one at five. My mom, who is over 500 pounds, would then go behind her back and feed me cookies and things. I was at like 70 pounds, I think, when I was five, and my grandmother was only doing what the nutritionist said to. Now, 26 years later, I am going for gastric sleeve surgery. This is mostly for a kidney transplant, but for once I want to look like everyone else around me and get the same attention from men that aren't my husband. I asked the poster about her mother and also what her feelings were about weight now. And JS wrote, Unfortunately, my mother passed away in 2004 when I was only 13. I still feel judged for my weight, even by people that used to be heavy as well. 
it feels like once someone loses the weight and becomes more, quote, average in our society, they forget that they were once in my shoes. Thank you so much, JS. I really appreciate you sharing that. If you have an anecdote you would like me to read on the air, you can leave it for me at yourbodyandtheworld at gmail or find me on Instagram at Ronit Plank. And please indicate whether or not you'd like me to use your name. On episode one, I shared answers from the body image survey that I've been conducting on Instagram. And you can find that survey in the link in my bio. And my Instagram handle is at Ronit Plank. And I titled the survey, Your Body and the World. And it has about 19 questions talking about when you began thinking about your body and how you felt about your body image, etc. So the very first question was, can you remember how old you were when you began judging your body? And I read some of those answers. And today I'm going to read answers to the second question. There were so many responses to this question that I won't get to all of them on this episode, but here are a few of them. So the question is, what, to the best of your recollection, made you begin to criticize your body? Here we go. I noticed that my best friend had cute clothes. She looked good. When my dad mentioned I had large hands for a girl, P.S., they are a smaller replica of his hands. The nickname Thunder Thighs from family members aged about seven or eight. I hit pre-puberty and my ballet teacher told me and the entire class we needed to lose weight. When my mother told me I shouldn't ever go beyond 110 pounds. I think it was when I began developing and gaining weight and having bulimia. A friend of mine had been given a bra and I remember wondering why I had nothing like what she had. Ballet. I was large and, quote, fat, and my sister was small and skinny. It was known in my family that she was the, quote, pretty one. Therefore, by default, I was the, quote, ugly one. I developed very late, was generally a runt, shorter and smaller than my younger sister, and didn't get my period until I was 16. My thighs were bigger than my peers. My jeans wouldn't button up. People telling me I was fat and needed to lose weight. My best friend's mother kept calling me skinny mini and telling me to eat more. After so long, it started to make me feel like there was something wrong with me. I didn't feel sickly or too skinny. I felt fine and normal. My mom finally asked her mom to stop saying that to me because it was upsetting me. She apologized and completely stopped. I think it hurt my friend, too, because her mom never spoke that way to her and took it like she was too big. She wasn't big at all. I don't know what her mother's deal was. My father asked me to stand up so he could look at my body, then declared me solid. Even at six, I knew that girls were not supposed to be solid. Heard my grandmother tell my thin twin sister I didn't need any Easter candy. Those are just some of the answers that I got, and I hope to revisit more of those responses on another episode. 
I thank you so much for sharing your experience and for answering the survey and trusting me through this process to help create this show with some anecdotes from you and your lived experience. And now it's time to introduce episode two's guest. Today, my guest is Meg Weber. She writes memoir about sex, grief, love, family, therapy, and tangled relationships. She is a queer writer and a mental health therapist who specializes in gender and sexuality. Her debut memoir, A Year of Mr. Lucky, launched in February of 2021, and she is at work on her second memoir. She lives in a suburb of Portland, Oregon with her wife, her teenager, a therapy labradoodle named Portland, and two cats. Welcome, Meg. Thank you, Ronit. I'm so happy to be here. I'm really glad you're here too and really excited to dig in because I feel like we're going to cover some new perspectives for the Body Myth podcast that I haven't been able to cover yet. And so I guess I do need to start with the question that I ask all my guests, which is how old were you when you first thought about your size or felt like you began judging your body? I think that I was nine, possibly slightly younger than nine. Um, But nine stands out to me because when I was that age is when my mom started taking me to a dietician Mm. uh, because she was worried that I was overweight. And um, she didn't want that to be my future. Mm -hmm. And so she started taking me to a dietician. Um, My mom also went to this dietician. So I think it was supposed to be some mother daughter bonding experience, um, Mm -hmm. which I I don't recommend. But uh, (laughs) that's, um, that that was sort of the the guys under which uh, I, she said, I'll go see this person. I just want you to talk to her. And uh, I, you know, that way we can make sure that this doesn't turn out in a way that we don't want. That so was are you saying messaging. that you had like a sense? So for, so a couple questions, was your mom struggling with her size? Did she feel she needed to change? She did. She had that challenge all her life. Um, and it wasn't something she was super talkative about. She didn't open up a lot about it. My belief is that my mom was bulimic for most of her young adult and most of her adulthood, but it wasn't something that we ever talked about directly. Mm. And then I know you have siblings. And so did were you the only one she brought to the dietitian with her? I was the only one she brought to the dietitian. So I'm the youngest of eight. And um, Mm. my two oldest siblings, um, my oldest brother and then my older sister, they both also had weight problems. I just made air quotes as I said that. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I was just going to say, I was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, According to my parents. And my parents forced both of them to go to Weight Watchers. Um, when they were in high school and college age, mostly high school, I suppose. And so that was the path they took with them. And then because of my siblings' size and all of that, that was part of the messaging that I received. You know, my mom would say, I don't want you to end up like your sister. So I want to do this, you know, when you're young enough uh, so that, you know, you don't have that problem and end up like her. Right. And so... It sounds to me, and tell me if I've got this wrong or right, that even though she said, oh, we, you know, I should take you to this dietitian, you should just talk with her, that you were sort of on to the other agenda, that you knew that she was sort of feeling like something was wrong with you or needed changing? 
Yes, I definitely got that message that something was wrong with me and that I needed to fix it in order to be worthy of love or affection or that's definitely the message that I got. Now, that's my adult brain thinking back to what nine-year-old me was learning. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think nine-year-old me felt like I'm supposed to do this. I'm being told I'm not okay. I definitely Mm -hmm. internalized that message that Mm -hmm. who I was in the body that I was in was not acceptable. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that way at school too, or mostly in the family? You know, I felt that way a little bit at school. Um, Family was a huge part of my life. And, you know, growing up right above me in the birth order are four boys. Mm -hmm. And um, I was born five weeks early. And I like to joke that I was already trying to catch up with them. And so I was like, I got to show up five weeks early to see if I can catch (laughs) up with those boys. Because, um, you know, being the the littlest in the family, um, the youngest and being you know, a girl after so many boys, there was a lot of teasing. And there was a lot of, you know, the boys had different privileges than I did, um, Mm -hmm. because they were boys, and the boys were better at sports than I was, because they were bigger Mm -hmm. and stronger. Um, And so there was definitely this energy of, I had to I had to prove myself. How else were you trying to prove yourself? It sounds like physically you were trying to prove yourself. Were there other ways in which you you got self-worth? I was trying to prove myself by being smart. And, you know, that was something that was really important to me as a kid. It it still matters to me now. I loved school. I loved learning. Mm -hmm. And it felt like there was a way that I might be able to – even that playing field eventually, Mm, if I was a good mm -hmm. student and I learned things and um, that I might be able to catch up to my brothers in that way. But definitely this idea that how you were as you were was not right or enough. Absolutely. That it was not right or enough. And my brother's my mom was taking me to this dietitian, and then I was supposed to eat differently than the rest of the family. And mm. so that was just one more avenue of teasing from my mm. brothers, mm. you know, that we would get pizza or we would have whatever. And they'd be like, oh, no, you're not supposed to eat that, you know. Oh, and there was so there was that policing. And it was just one more layer of not only am I being told by my mom that it, I'm not okay, but mm-hmm. here's more fuel for my brothers. Totally. Did you have any any kind of ally in the home or did you have support at school where you could escape this feeling of needing to change? You know, not really that I remember except uh, once I got to high school. Um, mm. So when I, I went to a small uh, private Catholic high school and um, it wasn't really until then that I started talking about my home life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were just the the image of the one big happy family. You know, there were 10 of us total and we were fairly close in age, eight kids in 13 years. Uh, um, yeah, yeah that, that math didn't land for me until I became a parent. And I was yeah. like, wow, that's a lot. Yes. And so, it, but once I was at high school, I finally had some adults that I felt like I could talk to Mm. And that I could say, yeah, I I am being told that I'm not okay the way that I am. And here's the things that are happening for me. Mm. And 
my sister, my older sister that had been taken to Weight Watchers and all that, we didn't really become close. Uh, she was 12 years older than me. We didn't become close until high school, when I was in high school and then college. And so she could have been an ally for me because mm -hmm. she had very similar messaging and experiences around body and size and food, but we just weren't connected in that mm -hmm. way. That 12 year age gap had, yeah. had been in the way. Yeah. Did you, did you change your, like, as you got older and you were in high school and then, you know, afterward in college, did you change your eating patterns to try to change your body or did you do diets or were you just not interested? You know, I did sort of, I mean, when I was eating with my mom or, you know, with my family, I was expected to watch what I ate and things like that. But as I got older, you know, when I was in high school, when I could, I ate whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And also, you know, when we would go to the dietitian, we were supposed to do that thing where you keep track of everything that you eat. And, you know, that's really where I learned to lie. <laughs> because I ate all kinds of stuff I wasn't going to put on that sheet. <laughs> and, um, you know, my, I had a very complicated relationship with my mom, as you can imagine from what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Um, mm -hmm. My mom also taught me to lie, not just about that, but uh, there were several things, including her bulimia, um, that she was less than honest about in her life. And um, I learned that from her. Mm -hmm. So she kind of mm -hmm. set me up to lie about what I was doing. So then what was the most of, of all this time in history? What Do you have a period of time where you felt was the most frustrating or painful body image time for you? I think that it was those years, probably junior high and high school, where, mm -hmm. you know, junior high is such a challenging time anyway, because mm -hmm. puberty is happening. I didn't know for sure it when I was that age that I was attracted to women, mm -hmm. but I, I had an inkling. Um, mm -hmm. And so I just felt like I stood out and mm -hmm. I wasn't acceptable. And um, then I moved from junior high with all the people that I had gone to school with my whole life to this private Catholic high school mm -hmm. where I didn't know anybody. And that was challenging too at first because I didn't feel like I had a group of friends. Mm. Um, and I just was still getting that messaging from my mom that, you know, okay, you play soccer and so you're a little athletic, but you still should lose some weight. And why are you eating that? And mm. um, just all of these, some of the messages were more subtle and then some of them were more overt, you know. Yeah, Portland it's has like an this, onslaught. Yeah, it really was. And Portland has this Rose Festival thing that each high school picks a princess and uh it's kind of problematic but uh, they, they do this thing you had me at princess yes. yeah exactly and then yeah. there becomes a queen and it's this whole thing about portland but in high school it's something that seniors in high school can try out for and i tried out for it you had to give a speech and wear a dress and all that stuff and um i didn't get chosen and you know my mom's comment to me about that was well, you know, it, it just might be, it might be more of like a beauty contest than you thought it was. Oh, <laughs> and gosh. I was like, oh, thanks mom. Like that. Oh that my really gosh, stinks. Meg. Did, did your mom, you know, we're going to move into your, your acceptance journey in a moment and, and about your sister. But before I do that, did your mom ever 
get to a better or happier place with herself or her body that you can tell? No. I do believe that she stopped um, the bulimia because I think that um, it had caused so much damage to her physically that she couldn't really continue that. But no, she had a complicated relationship with her body um, until the day she died. It's really hard to to know that. It is. Hmm. So... For you, you have mentioned that the community, the BDSM King community, really helped you into some of the acceptance with your body that you feel and the connections there have helped you learn to love your body. So can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I think um, before I came into kink or exploring BDSM. And can you, def- can you, for listeners, tell, tell the listeners what that stands for, BDSM? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lots of folks might disagree about what the whole acronym stands for, but um, I think of it as bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, sadism and masochism. Like it's sort of a a multi-purpose acronym for all of those kinds of what one might call alternative sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Before I came into exploring all of that, which happened uh, in my early 20s was when I started, I had come out as queer. Mm -hmm. And even just coming out as queer gave me a little bit more room to be in the body that I was in, because I wasn't participating in uh, heteronormativity. I wasn't trying to look like a perfectly thin, fit mm-hmm. girl to have a perfectly attractive boy on my arm, or I guess I'd mm-hmm. be on his arm. I don't know how that works. <laughs> but um, I wasn't trying to do that. And so it gave me more room to be who I was. And then when I started exploring BDSM, part of what I appreciated about it was that there were all kinds of bodies, people in all kinds of bodies that were drawn to these things. And I wasn't automatically excluded because of my size or because I might not have known how to show up in a feminine way, the way that I would have needed to be in order to fit within straight society. Mm -hmm. So I just felt like there was just more room and acceptance and It's not that people in larger bodies were tolerated. They were celebrated in this community. Mm -hmm. And so I could walk into a a play party or an event and see bodies all around me that didn't fit the mold. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And people were really enjoying themselves and each other. And it was it was a completely different world than I ever imagined because some of those messages that I got growing up were no boy is ever going to love you. Nobody's ever going to want to be with you sexually. I mean, we were Catholic. We didn't talk a lot about that, but (laughs) but the idea was nobody's going to want you in that body. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. this community told me that that was just plain wrong, that that wasn't going to be true. And so how long did it take you to actually believe it and and kind of, I don't know if the word is relax or, or, you know, maybe stop self-surveilling? You know, I think that that is an ongoing journey. I think that some days I am feeling really at home in my body and I feel comfortable and sexy and strong. 
And other days I still look in the mirror and think, oh, what if I looked different? Um, I just, I don't know that I will ever be completely out from under that messaging because of how pervasive it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think that's that makes a lot of sense. I was going to ask you, you know, what your body thoughts are like these days. And I don't know if, if you know, I guess you kind of answered that. So would you say that you have the proportion of peace you feel is equal to the proportion of distraction about your body? Or is it a little bit different than that? I, I think it's a little bit different. I think that I most days feel more at peace with my body than in conflict with my body. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that, I mean, these are all interconnected. I found ways to express myself as who I am. And part of that for me was learning how to present myself as feminine in the world, again, Mm -hmm. with the five brothers and trying to be competitive with them. Um, I didn't really know how to look like a girl but I was supposed to look like a girl. And so there was that tension and conflict my whole life and my size played into that. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't really until my late 20s that I started to figure out that I could be a girl any way I wanted to be. Um, And so that really helped me find clothes that felt good to me and that I felt comfortable or sexy or pretty in and the more I could dress that way and move in the world that way the more I felt sexy and confident and strong in my body Mm. so it felt like it was just an experience that that built on itself uh, Mm -hmm. throughout my adulthood Mm -hmm. and nowadays I mean, nowadays it's the pandemic and I don't know, do people wear real clothes? (laughs) I I think I only wear, you know, yoga pants and the like, um, because I'm at home all the time. And also I feel comfortable in those. And so that has been a a big part of me learning to feel at home in my body. Yeah. And, and actually I, that makes me wonder a little bit about what your relationship is now with your brothers and, you know, and we can talk a little bit about, you know, we could talk about your sister now too, but I know you lost a sister to suicide. And so if you feel like you can spend a little time on your, on that story and and where you are now with your siblings, that would be really, really lovely to know about. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking. So yeah, I, my sister, my oldest sister, the one I mentioned before did die by suicide and it's been almost eight years. And that is part of that story is included in my memoir, A Year of Mm -hmm. Mr. Lucky. Well, Mm -hmm. parts of that story, it's a big story, but that I really believe that all of these thoughts about body size and femininity and how we're supposed to show up and whether or not people are going to be desired in the body that they're in, those messages ruled my sister's life. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that they are a big part of why she did what she did. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, ways that I saw that happen for her You know, she started dieting when she was in junior high or high school at my parents' insistence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, throughout the course of her life, she gained and lost over 100 pounds several times. And that is brutal on a body. Mm -hmm. Um, That type of caloric restriction and over-exercising and then binging or, you know, putting in all of those calories 
that wreaks havoc on a body. And it's really hard to find any kind of equilibrium when Mm -hmm. you've been engaging in all of those behaviors. Mm. And the reasons that my sister did that, and she was pretty clear about it, she wanted to be loved. She never had a, an ongoing partner, long-term partner as an adult. Uh, she died when she was 51 or 52. Mm-hmm. And um, she had dated a little bit, but she hadn't had a, a long-term partner. And I really believe she didn't feel worthy of love. And mm-hmm. it wasn't difficult to see where she got that message because mm-hmm. it's the same message I received in my mm-hmm. family. And even when she was at her skinniest when she was looked like skin and bones and did not look healthy or attractive or any of these things. Um, she felt like that's what she needed to do in order to survive. Mm-hmm. And yet it didn't help her survive. Mm-hmm. How did was, your parents take that? You know, that is complicated. I mean, there, my mom and my sister had a very difficult, contentious relationship. My sister was the oldest girl. Mm. I feel like there was a lot of competition in their relationship. Um, they were competing for my dad's attention. Uh, mm. And and my dad didn't have the same hangups about size and bodies that my mom did. Um, mm. And that's, you know, there's whole long stories there about their upbringing. Um, and also just the the way bodies looked in each of their families. My mom came from a family of thin people. Um, and so that was the ideal. And my dad came from a different stock and mm-hmm. w- there was a little more room for um, bodies to be different sizes. And you asked about my siblings as well. And this kind of segues into that, mm-hmm. you know, my brothers, at least one or two of my brothers are, um, larger, you know, depending on what words we want to use. I don't think mm-hmm. they identify as fat, so I won't use that to describe them. And there was, so there was a gender difference, even though they also tried to make my oldest brother go to Weight Watchers and, and mm-hmm. lose weight. Um, you know, there wasn't the same amount of shame and stigma that there was for the women in our family. Yeah. So there and, was that and- gendered difference. And how, you know, first, I'm so sorry for the loss of your sister. Thank you. And, you know, you know, eight years is not very long. It's not. Um, Yeah. And how is your relationship to your siblings and and do your siblings talk about weight in the family when you get together? Is, do you have a certain, are your parents still alive? Neither of my parents are still alive. Um, My mom died 14 months after my sister did. And then Mm. my dad died right before the pandemic. And so um, it is just my siblings and me and, you know, our kids, et cetera. And we don't talk openly about size. Mm -hmm. Uh, There there might be a lot of self-critical like, oh, I shouldn't eat that or gosh, I, you know, I can have that dessert, but then I have to go run a mile. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of that Mm -hmm. diet kind of talk um, that I don't participate in. Um, I work really hard to, you know, I eat what I want to eat. And if I want to go for a run, actually, that's not true. I don't ever want to go for a run. Um, If I want (laughs) to go for a walk, um, I do that because I want to go for a walk, not because I want to lose weight or make up up for the the candy that I just ate. Um, But so there is that tension. And, you know, I think it's interesting, both my sister who died and another brother, one of the ways that they worked to 
address their eating challenges or their uh, size was they use drugs. Mm. And, you know, so when I think about the kinds of messaging that we got in our family and the, the choices that that presented to people, mm-hmm. you know, um, my, my brother could choose, well, I could quit smoking, but then I'm going to eat more and then I'll gain more weight and which is less desirable. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, he chose smoking because hmm. that might help him curb his, his appetite and his size. And to hmm. me, that's really sad. Addiction isn't a part of my life unless you count Diet Coke, um, which I drink <laughs> an inordinate amount of. But um, I think it's really sad to think that those are the kinds of choices that my siblings have been trying to make to just be okay in their bodies. You know, this reminds me of a conversation um, with the, in another episode of The Body Myth with Michelle Yang, who talks about, she she touched on this, how a lot of people, she is an advocate, a mental health advocate, as well as a lot of other work that she does. And she talks about how a lot of people don't want to go on pharmaceuticals to help their mental health because they're worried about the weight gain or about the, you know, hair loss, whatever those kinds of side effects are. And she went on medicine as soon as she could, as when she got diagnosed uh, with bipolar, because for her, it was more important that she can live and thrive and have a, you know, a viable way of being in this world than those other issues. And she felt that it was so sad that people, you know, would choose the way they look to conform with Western culture over their mental health or their physical health. Absolutely. I I totally agree with that. And I think that it is really sad. And I also, as much as it was hard for me to watch my sister suffer in these ways, um, I I didn't blame her. Like I said, I could understand Mm -hmm. where this came from. And Mm -hmm. more than anything, you know, as is so often the case, I just wanted her to see what we saw. I wanted her to see how vibrant and funny and and integral she was to all of our lives and Mm -hmm. how we would much rather have her in our life at any size and and have her alive with us than have her disappear herself um, through dieting or binging or any of those things. Mm. Do you think your mom had regrets? I think we could talk for hours about that. But yes, I do think that my mom (laughs) had regrets. Um, And, you know, it's easy to trace for my mom. Her mom didn't have the love and compassion and affection to give my mom when my mom was growing up. And Mm -hmm. so I really believe in terms of, you know, intergenerational trauma that, it was difficult for my mom to offer those things to us kids Mm -hmm. because she didn't get them as mean or challenging as my mom was with those comments. Her mom was worse. Oh yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've seen this story. I understand a little bit from my mom and her mother. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear this and you know, it's, you, it just, it did a lot of, it did a lot of harm and you can imagine how unhappy your mom was too. And it's, it's an interesting thing about, you know, how much to blame and how much do we, you know, we don't have to answer that. Obviously this is just something to think about, um, how much we can blame someone and how much we realize they were missing some really important resources and tools. You know, it's just a very Mm -hmm. difficult, you know, and, and the legacy of that kind of intergenerational trauma is just vast. 
It really is. And I hear that as sort of a yes and. Like, yes, my mom caused harm. And she also experienced harm. And like you said, it's not necessarily about blame. It's about cause and effect. And how do these things um, lead to how other people behave? Right. And I was actually, I want to, I, I agree with your yes and, and I wondered if you were going to yes and in the other way, which was, yes, your mother experienced these hard things. And a lot of people do, and they can, you know, do better, right? So it's like both, it's both, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at all. But I, you know, in my no. own family, in my own family, there was definitely an improvement with my mom's generation. But, you know, there were also a lot of areas where, you know, there weren't improvements. So very exactly. complex. And of course, that's a whole nother podcast. But <laughs> um, so Meg, where can people find you? Uh, where can I will list all of your your links and stuff in um, the show notes, of course, but you can just shout out where you'd love people to find you. Awesome. Yeah. So my website is megweberwriter.com. And uh, there's information there about my book and other publications that I have and things like that. Great. Meg, thank you so much for being my guest. I just love talking with you and I'm really excited to share this. Thank you so much, Ronit. I really appreciate the opportunity and getting to be in conversation with you. This was great. Thank you for tuning into The Body Myth. If you'd like updates, want to complete the Your Body in the World survey, or have a body image anecdote you'd like me to read on air, please visit the link in the show notes or Find the link in my Instagram profile at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And if you liked this episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts so that others can more easily find The Body Myth. Thank you so much for being here. 